Uh, let's have a prayer. If you would join me, we'll begin. Our Father, we are thankful for this day. We know it is your gift. You give life and breath to all things, and we thank you for this time. Thank you for the measure of health we have that we're able to be here. Father, we know that there are several among us and in other places that we're thinking about who are not well. And as we think of those different people, Father, we know that you see those thoughts, you know those thoughts. We ask, I ask your blessings uh, in their different needs, Father, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Pray for your blessing uh, to them according to their needs. Father, we're concerned and bothered about the turmoil in the Ukraine and that invasion. We, are, we don't know. We know that you work in the affairs of men and that your will will be done, and we pray for that. But our desire, Father, is um, not knowing your will in this. Our desire is that that war would stop that the aggression would be stopped and that there could be peace. We pray for the people there, especially uh, Christians and missionaries there and uh, the suffering that's going on. And we pray for them and for their faith and uh, for safety. You know, Father, that the church has gone through many persecutions and hard times through the centuries, especially when the church was beginning uh, so we pray for faith in you ask your blessings in our time together today father in Jesus name amen so uh, so we're headed if the crowd's any smaller next week we'll meet in the foyer <laughs> sir Okay, the echo is a little much, and Todd is working. It is in progress. And uh, if some of you have not met our neighbor, Rue, a wave, Rue, if you haven't met her, and a lot of you have, but please say hello to her. Otherwise, she'll think you're mean and nasty people. And we know that you're not, uh, but let's remove that doubt. And Ken, uh, Ken has met her, and we're not as mean as Ken is. Rue. <laughs> so it's good to have you here today, Rue. Um, we're in John chapter 10, but before we resume that, um, so what we've been working through here over the past several weeks is this, this tension and uh, escalation of aggression between the Pharisees and Jesus just keeps building and building and building and building, and it's getting worser and worser, as somebody might say. Uh, but it uh, keeps headed toward a, toward a climax, and uh, the Pharisees are digging their heels in. And this really started in John chapter 2, and I guess it's, I won't, that seems, oh, okay, I started to say that seems better, but. Somewhere in there sounds about right, Todd. I don't know. I won't refer anymore. 
Uh, in John chapter 2, when Jesus cleared the temple of the uh, money changers, he said, you're making my father's house a den of thieves and robbers. And of course, this was going on be, um, at the blessing of the Jewish leaders and the, the Pharisees. They, they were in charge of everything that happened, the priests in, in the temple. And so this uh, money-making racket was going on with their blessing. And so this this begins, that's the signal that things are going to, there's going to be a clash between this new teacher and the status quo. And I just want to notice a few verses uh, starting in chapter 5, if you happen to be, we'll just go through this really quickly, but some of the, some of the narrative here that um, things that are happening after Jesus ran out the, ran the folks out of the temple there, and uh, things that were said and done that caused the tension to build. In, in John 5 and 17, Jesus says, uh, and they were complaining because he had healed a person on the Sabbath. And he says, uh, well, my father is working until now and I'm working. And so they're starting to pick up on the fact that he's connecting himself to God. And he says, my father's working, so I'm working. Also, by the way, in Matthew 12 uh, in verse 12, uh, Jesus says that you guys, if you had a sheep fall in a ditch, you'd pull it out. Uh, he says, so I healed a guy. He said, it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. That's not breaking the Sabbath. And so he makes that point. It's okay to do good. So you don't need to be criticizing me for healing someone. Uh, chapter 5, verse 36, he says, uh, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish the very works I am doing bear witness about me that the Father sent me. And so he's, uh, he's sort of, uh, he's not backing away. He's uh, putting his identity, if you will, in their face. Uh, just telling the truth, but he's uh, revealing who he is. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger. 38, he says, I have come down from heaven. Hmm, okay. I've come down from heaven. Um, and I don't do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then in verse 40, he said, this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him, and he refers to himself as the son of man, and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then verse uh, 51 I am the living bread that came down from heaven. So he's making his identity clear. In chapter 7, Jesus, uh, verse 16, Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know if my teaching is from God. Um, going on in chapter 7, verse 38 Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Uh, chapter 8, verse 24, I tell you that you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. That's pretty straightforward, I would say. Verse 39, they, uh, the Jews, the Jewish leaders, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. 
But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Um, in chapter 9, Jesus says in verse, uh, well, the narrative, in chapter 9, verse 32, when the blind man is talking to the Pharisees about being healed, he says this, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So, he sort of, of course, uh, after he made that comment, the Pharisees kicked him out of the temple. If you're going to tell us that, then we're going to kick you out. So who are you to tell us? Of course, healing the man who was born blind was by their own code and tradition a messianic miracle. No one, no one could heal someone with, born with a deformity. And uh, so they reasoned only God can do this. And whenever the Messiah comes, the Messiah can do it because he's from God. So when Jesus does it, they say, meh. You know, when, uh, emotions are a hard thing. And when we feel a certain way or when we want to believe a certain way, it is, yea, verily hard to change that. You know, uh, you, we look at this today and say, well, good grief. There you go. I mean, he heals a man born blind. That's a messianic miracle. He healed a leper earlier. That's a messianic miracle. Must be the Messiah. They say, well. So our prejudices and our feelings are extremely hard to overcome and that applies in a lot of areas and across the board so just a thought there so uh, today what I said all of that was not today that was leading up to today now this is today does that make sense Keith Keith says it does so at the end of verse of chapter 9 and of course the letter did not have chapters in it. So chapter 10 is a continuation of chapter 9. And I'm just going to start in the last two verses there of chapter 9. Jesus, and this is, this is on the heels of Jesus healing the man born blind, the man pointing out to them that no one can heal a person born blind unless God's with them. They didn't like that and they kicked him out of the synagogue. Jesus went and Talk to the guy in verse 35 and 34 and 35 and uh, 36. And he says, I'm, he tells the guy, I'm the son of man. I'm the Messiah, basically. So now, verse 40. Well, 39. Jesus said, he's talking to the blind guy, the guy that can see now. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees, verse 40, heard near him, heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But since you say we see, your guilt remains. Uh, so he says, you guys are guilty. Uh, you say we see, but you don't see. You're, you're blind to the truth. 
Um, let's go on into, te- into 10 here. Verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Um, Because of the treatment of the Pharisees to the man who was healed, their harsh treatment toward him, uh, Jesus is rebuking them. They had no right to kick this man out of the synagogue for telling them the truth. And so Jesus is rebuking them, and uh, he's saying in one, 1 and 2, basically he's saying, you guys who are supposed to be shepherds of the sheep, the Pharisees, the priests who have assumed shepherding roles in name, he says, you're robbers and thieves. And of course, he referred to that like, I, like we mentioned in chapter 2. They've made the temple a racket and he says, you're, you're corrupt. You're corrupt. You're not shepherds of the sheep. You have that role, but you're abusing the sheep. You're not protecting the sheep. You, you don't care about the people at all. And so he says, your guilt remains. Um, this, this hardness of heart really, well, it was with Israel from early on. Uh, way back when Moses was leading them out of Egypt. It didn't take too long before they started having their own ideas about things. But uh, God worked with them, and then the judges came along, and they would drift away. God would give them a judge to bring them back. They would be good for a generation. Then they would drift away, and then God would bring another judge to bring them back, and on and on. And it just happened over and over. And so... That goes on for a period of time. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people say uh, to Samuel, we want a king. Everybody else has got a king. And all we have, we, we have these judges. That's not very kingly. That's not very prestigious. Why can't we be like everybody else? And of course, that was the thing. God did not want them like everybody else. And as David said in Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. God wanted to be the shepherd of the people of Israel. But they wanted a king. And so finally God relented and told Samuel, go ahead, give them the king. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. But he said, warn them about what's going to happen before you install this guy, tell them of the abuses that are coming. And of course, all those things happened. But God said, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Well, this, so they get a king, doesn't take too long before that runs into the ditch. And for the most part, most of, uh, most of Israel's kings behave badly. But um, just a, a verse Jeremiah, uh, a passage uh, about this uh, about this process with Israel. Jeremiah chapter twenty three, um, starting in verse one of Jeremiah twenty three. Woe 
That's not W-H-O-A. Just to clarify, Ken. Woe, W-O-E. To the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. He said, you guys who are supposed to be leaders, you're not leaders. Therefore, verse two, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Um, Go to Ezekiel if you're thumbing with your... Bible there, uh, verse uh, chapter 34. This problem continues and another prophet comes forward after Jeremiah and Ezekiel and uh, we'll go through four or five verses here in 34. Chapter one, uh, verse one. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord. Shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. That was exactly what the Pharisees and priests were doing with the temple uh, joke of temple worship that had evolved in the time of Jesus. It was a prophet racketeering mess. And they were feeding, they were making a lot, they were feeding themselves, not the people of Israel. They didn't care at all about the people. They were getting uh, taken care of themselves. And so he says, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? Verse 3 of 34. You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled. They are scattered because there was no shepherd. Uh, so this heritage that the current, the Pharisees of this day of Jesus' time had, it, it goes back a ways, generational problems here. Um, and if you remember when Jesus was, earlier we talked about his feeding the 5,000, which was probably 10 or 12,000 if you count the women and children. It says before that started as Jesus uh, they were gathering, following him, and they were gathering together. And it's, uh, the passage says that Jesus looked on the crowds and they looked like people without sheep. Like sheep without a shepherd. Let me say that again. They looked like sheep without a shepherd. Next time I do that, Georgia, speak up. I see everybody smiling at me and I have to rethink what I just said. So Jesus looks at the crowd and he said, you know, he said, good, they look like sheep without a shepherd. Well, they were. They were sheep without a shepherd. The shepherds they had were not shepherds at all. Um, So this confrontation that we're dealing with now in John chapter 10, this has been going on for centuries. It's been going on for centuries. Um, Let's go to verse 3 and 4. Chapter 10, 3 and 4 to the, okay, let me read read 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. 
He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out for when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them. The sheep follow him for they know his voice. Um, Just a couple of things with this. Um, He says the shepherd knows the sheep by name. Um, He did. The shepherds of the day did know their little flocks. They named their sheep. There was Ken, there was Keith, there was Steve. They all had names. (laughs) He's making parallels here. All the time, Jesus is making parallels. The Father knows us, the shepherd, our true shepherd, the one who leads us in life. We are not just a vast pool of humanity with no identity. I'm not important, we think. Cosmically, not so much, but to God, very much. He knows us by name. We may not know each other by name. That's my pet peeve, right? Is that my pet peeve, Don? Not knowing each other? Yeah, it is. But God knows us. So much so, you know, in Luke, we're very, very familiar with that passage that he knows the sparrows, the two sparrows are sold for a half a cent apiece or whatever. God knows when one of them falls. I used to have a BB gun. Daddy had, I had a daisy rifle. It was, what was the one on the Christmas story that the little boy had? Red Rider. I don't remember if I had a Red Rider, but daddy figured it out, my dad. So I'm 10 years old and I'm going to start shooting birds, pesky birds. And I'd put notches on the gun. I look back on that now. Of course, there were certain birds I could shoot and some I couldn't. Uh, but dad figured out, you know, uh, I wore that gun out. I'd shoot at trees, I'd shoot at cans, I'd shoot at birds, telephone poles, everything. Anything in front of me, better watch out. And uh, so I finally wore out the first one and dad said, you know what, I'm going to send it back to the Daisy people up in Rogers, Arkansas. A few weeks later, I get a brand new rifle back. This is not bad. I wore that one out and he sent it off. Guess what? I got a new one back. So if, you, if you're at home and you're wearing out your BB guns, you can send them back to Daisy. They'll send you a new one. Sorry, wasting some time. God knows when a sparrow falls, he knew when I did that. But he says, you're more important than many sparrows and God knows the number of hairs on your head. So, so the Lord God, the Father, the shepherd of us knows us intimately intimately you know there was this show a few years ago about a bar where everybody knows your name that's what it should be at church not a bar that's what we should be known for a place where everybody knows your name If you don't know Eric and Jennifer, you need to make a point today, today, to meet them and get to know them. They're worth knowing. Don't leave it to someone else. Let's not be a place where we don't know half the names of the people we're worshiping God with. 
or crying out loud. So, by the way, this is for free. Just a free point here. So we have this process uh, in churches. Every few years, we appoint new elders. Different congregations do it in different ways. And that's fine because the scripture doesn't tell us. The only pattern that we have in the scripture that I know of, you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the evangelist appointed shepherds in the towns as Paul was moving around. He, he was given the job to appoint shepherds wherever he was. So that's okay. A lot of congregations, they put it before the congregation and they, they decide and, they, and so on. But let me just make this point. Whenever we here decide to add shepherds again in the future, let's not appoint men who are good guys and that's their qualification. Let's not do that. That is one qualification in the context of it. That is not the qualification. We should appoint men who are already interacting with the sheep. You put a man who's reserved, who's not interacting with the sheep, and he becomes an elder, a shepherd, he's not going to change much at all. If he's not already doing it, if he doesn't already understand the importance of that. So make sure, let's make sure that we appoint men who are, who smell like sheep already, as Lynn Anderson said, who, who are purposefully, intentionally interacting with the congregation and are shepherding as such. Tim just taught a class on that that we all should be interacting. So that's for free, okay? Uh, and then one other comment. Oh, my goodness. I shouldn't have told that BB rifle story. It says, the sheep know him and they follow him. That does not mean they go to church. That's the farthest thing from John's mind when the Holy Spirit inspired him to write those words, the sheep follow him. Does not mean they go to church faithfully. Does not mean they go to church on Wednesday night. Doesn't mean that. They may do those things and that's good, that's well and good, but it says they follow him. And so Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, Take, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Do the things that I do. See after other people. Like Mercy's Gate, that's a great thing. But it's just the way we live. Benita and Alan, I would not point them out at all because they would be embarrassed. There's a couple that attends here that are great examples of seeing about sheep, not only here, but in other places. That's following the steps of Jesus. Doesn't that make a lot of sense? 
So we want to become like Jesus. We want to be known for, known for, known for the way we speak and act. And that is seen by our caring about others and for others. Now, everybody doesn't have to know that, but it'll become known if that's how you live. It'll be known. There's another couple right there, Steve and Deborah. My goodness, what great people to emulate. Oh, what role models. Man. And they're... We have a lot of servants that I'm looking at here right now. That's what he's talking about. Uh, We have this thing that we like to set our own courses. I'm going to set my schedule, uh, and I will, uh, I'm going to follow Jesus a certain amount. I'll do this much. Don't ask me to do that or anything. I'll do this much. We set limits. That's how we do it. Uh, Look, we can't do everything, but when the whole church is thinking, let me do what I can, then amazing things happen and you have a great impact in the community. And the more that's multiplied, the greater the impact. Uh, So Jesus says in verse 7 and... uh, Verse 7, Jesus said to them, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All that come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. The people didn't follow. They didn't have regard for the Pharisees and the priests. They, they knew that they were not important, the people. They knew they were not seen as important. There was no relationship there. Those are robbers. The sheep don't listen to them. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Uh, Jesus makes a very exclusive statement right there. If anyone enters by me. I was talking to Alvin Smith years ago in Monroe, and we were talking about religion in general, and uh, I just shared with him John 14, 6. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And we're talking, and my boss comes in, Terry comes in. He was both of our both of our our boss. And he comes in, gets a little bit of the conversation, and he says, you know, he says, I think that, uh, you know, God loves for people to worship him. It really doesn't matter uh, how you do it, if you're a Buddhist, if you're Hindu, if you're a Muslim, if you're Christian, just so you worship a higher being, worship God. That's what he wants. And I said, well, Terry, uh, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but by me. So here's the point. The Bible, the teaching of Jesus is too narrow for a lot of people. We just don't want to go there. It's just too narrow. Even if Jesus said it, even if Jesus said it, we judge God and say, God, that's too narrow. I think it should be this way. I saw a quote from Brad Pitt. Uh, I'm looking in the scripture. I'm not looking for Brad's quote, in case you're wondering. He's 
Some people might be wondering that, but that wasn't why I was thumbing back here. Um, I wrote it down, part of it down. And you can Google this and read it yourself. I'm not going to read all of it. Brad Pitt, I didn't understand this idea of God that says you have to acknowledge me that I'm the best to get eternal happiness. He said, hmm, that seems too egotistical. I don't think God would do that. Uh, there's, there's a verse in Job 42, uh, verse 5 and 6. At the end of Job's ordeal and all that he went through there, and he has this dialogue with God, and God answers him, and then he comes to this conclusion. Job says, 42, verse 5, I heard of you by hearing, by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. When we see God in his glory, when the human mind, when we actually have the, uh, the opportunity to get past all of our, all of this facade and deceit that the ruler of this world puts on us and we are before God in his glory, we will say you are the best and you do deserve to be worshipped. Every time in scripture when a human encounters the presence in some form, the presence of God, he just melts. We cannot comprehend the greatness of Jehovah God. People are so casual about God. And, you know, it gets uh, so the common saying is, oh, my God. You've got blue socks on. I said, I do. Oh, my God. I meant to wear my bread. It was so casual. So disrespectful. The great creator. Ooh. We should be in awe. Right? Brad, Brad will be an awesome day. Um, our culture, our culture wants freedom to live the way we want to live. And you know, uh, I mean, you just you see that every day, nearly, and if you follow the news. Uh, uh, we want to live the way we want to live. What's your truth? What's my truth? That, that, that's baloney. There's, there's no your truth. There's your opinion. There's my opinion. There are my feelings, but there's no my truth. The, the scripture is the truth. And Jesus says that. I am the way, the life, the truth. Uh, there's no your truth, uh, the truth, my truth, how do I want to put these together? No, no, we, we've got no, we get no cards in that game. We have no cards to play. You crazy? We're humans. We're here for 60, 70, 80 years. Miss Noreen, 100 plus. We're mortal. There is the truth. George Clooney said, I don't know if I believe in God. All I know is I won't allow this life, the only thing I know to exist, to be wasted. 
Well, that's exactly what he's doing. Wasting it. It's exactly what he's doing. We elevate ourselves way too much. For all of our advances, you know, we've got space travel, we've got x-rays, MRIs, iPhones, computers, we've got silly putty. We got a lot of stuff. You take away all that stuff, we are the very same as in Jesus' day and as in Abraham's day and as in Noah's day. We have, whoop, we have the same struggles, the same issues going on all the time, interpersonal struggles and strife. You know what it all boils down to? Selfishness. It, in one way or another, it's whether you're lying about something, it's to preserve yourself or to get something or to cover up yourself. It all comes back to selfishness. We have the same problems that they had. We have different clothes. We have different gadgets. The, the, the Bible is ancient, but it's not old. It's still current. It's as current as it was as, G, as when Jesus was saying this. Let's, let me skip that. Yeah, no, I didn't skip that. I got that. Uh, verse 10. So uh, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. The thief, the Pharisees, who were the thieves of the day, the Jewish leaders, they just came to, to plunder, to advance their cause, their stuff, their roles, their power, um, just passing stuff. The next generation will do the same. They did the same as their fathers before, their fathers before, their fathers before. Jesus says, I come to bring life, abundant life. Meaning, abundant life. Let's, let's talk about that. 25 words or less. Eric, I'll start with you. Abundant life. What would that mean as Jesus said it? Peace. Scott, abundant life. Complete. Georgia, grace filled. Abundant life, Bonnie. We got it all. Rue, joy. Jenny, abundant life. Yeah. Everything God has to offer. Abundant life, you know, as we look at it as Americans, it's a whole different idea, isn't it? Abundant life is how much stuff you've got. That's the abundant life. Taking vacations, going to nice places, and having a nice home, and you know, on and on. We've, we've turned it upside down. That's not the abundant life at all. I, I jotted down Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we got five minutes. Ephesians 2, if I can get to it. The first five verses there in Ephesians 2, Paul writes, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That was the abundant life, the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just could not, can't get along, yeah, 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 like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. That's the abundant life. Forgiveness, being marked by the Spirit as one of God's children, having an eternal destiny. Jesus said in verse John, back to John 10, in verse 11, in verse 15, 17, and 18, he says it four times. I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down, and he says it four times. In the last two, he says, I'll take it up again also. What the shepherd, the good shepherd, did for us, defeated death. When Peter's preaching the sermon in Acts 2, he, right at the front end of his sermon, he tells them right after, he says, you've killed the Messiah, you killed the Son of God. He said, but verse 22 through 24 of chapter 2, but death could not hold him. God released him from that, could not hold him. So he defeated death. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Great passage. Great, great passage. Three minutes. Hebrews 2. This was Jesus' mission, largely. Chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children, humans, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and, and uh, deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He says, you, we don't have to be afraid of death. There's a natural thing there. We don't like it. You know, it's an enemy. We're, we're built for life. But there's a process we go through here, and there's a passage that we go through but the piece of it is, is that Jesus went through it, came out the other side of it, and says, now that I have, you can too. Follow me. I'm the way through death. Verse 15, we just read, he freed humankind for those who will follow him, freed them from the slavery of the fear of death. Oh, it's a slave master. All kinds of money and things are spent to try to live longer. That's, that's natural. But there's a time limit on all of it. And what then? Resurrection after a short while. Resurrection. And so Jesus defeated death. He defeated the devil in the resurrection. And he removed the penalty for sin Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, it says that he made one sacrifice, one time, for all time, for all sin. 
chapter 10, verse 12. One sacrifice for all sin. He brought forgiveness. Okay, so it just turned 9.50. That's a shame. I had a bit more. God bless you brave souls for braving the blast of winter. Let's have a great rest of the morning. Thank you. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.